This week on The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, we are rolling right along in our adventures in Acts with Festus shares with Agrippa, Paul brought before Agrippa, Paul's defense before Agrippa, Paul's conversion yet again, and not disobedient to the heavenly vision. Join me, Pastor Will Whedon, for The Word of the Lord Endures Forever, your daily 15-minute verse-by-verse Bible study on demand. Listen at thewordendures.org or your favorite podcast provider. sanctified us in the true faith.
The Lord has sanctified us in the true faith. reading from Mark chapter 2. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting, and people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. 
and no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. O Lord, have mercy on us. In many and various ways, God spoke to his people of old by the prophets. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus is active in these opening first chapters of Mark. He's cast out demons, healed an old woman's fever, cleansed a leper, raised a paralytic, preached up a storm. And now it's time for Jesus to cast out the demon of religion. Jesus seems to go out of his way to run roughshod over religion. His disciples pick grain on the Sabbath, right under the nose of the watchful Pharisees. And he has this habit of healing on the Sabbath. Why couldn't he wait till Sunday or get it done before sunset on Friday? Why does he do things that deliberately provoke the religious with their oh-so-righteous traditions? In this morning's reading from the Gospel of Mark, the issue is not what Jesus is doing, rather it is what he and his disciples are not doing. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Jesus and his disciples were not. The religious were quick to point the finger. What's with them? Why aren't they fasting? There was only one prescribed fast in the Old Testament, Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. On that day, all Israel went hungry from morning to evening. They fasted in mourning and grief over their sin. All the other fasts were individual and voluntary. Fasts were usually associated with disaster, hard economic times, or times of bereavement or national calamity, such as the fasting we are witnessing amid the devastation of the Israel-Hamas war these last days. After the exile, the Jews added four days to commemorate the destruction of Jerusalem. You celebrate victory with, with feasting. You celebrate defeat with fasting. Later, Judaism added two weekly fasts on Mondays and Thursdays. If a little is good, more must be better. The Pharisees fasted every Monday and Thursday. So did the Essenes. And that's probably what John's disciples and the Pharisees were up to in our text this morning. The only time we hear of Jesus fasting is when he fasted 40 days in the wilderness after his baptism, echoing Moses on Sinai in Israel in the wilderness. We presume he kept the Yom Kippur fast with the rest of Israel, though none of the gospel writers tells us that. Jesus didn't have much to say on the subject of fasting. He presumed his disciples would fast, pious Jews that they were. He told them, when you fast, wash your face and comb your hair, and like prayer and charity, keep it between you and your Father in heaven who sees all things. Now there's nothing inherently wrong with fasting. The small catechism, in fact, calls it a fine outward discipline, and that it is. 
Fasting is conducive to prayer. You can't pray with your mouth full, and you can't be alert with your belly full. Fasting is conducive to charity. You have more to give away to those who are hungry, not by their own choice, and it's a good to remind yourself of what the hungry feel every day. Fasting is conducive to confession. You feel like the poor, miserable sinner that you are. Hunger is a sign of our impoverishment, our impending death. Like the ashes of Ash Wednesday, fasting is a sign of mourning and grief and repentance. Fasting is a discipline for your good, like exercise or reading a good book or taking walks in the woods. So why didn't Jesus' disciples fast like the Pharisees and John's disciples? Well, simply put, fasting was incompatible with the presence of Jesus. How can the sons of the bridegroom fast when the bridegroom is with them? You don't fast at a wedding, you feast. And being with Jesus is like being at a wedding feast that never ends. Where Jesus is, there is joy. Like the wedding at Cana, we're talking 180 gallons of undiluted joy. He turns mourning into dancing, grief to joy, death to life. He forgives sin and raises the dead. Fasting and Jesus simply don't go together. Goes on to say, a day is coming when the bridegroom will be taken away from them and then his disciples too will fast. Referring to the very good Friday when he hung dead on a cross. But in the presence of Jesus, there can only be joy and feasting. That's why we have Sundays in Lent instead of Sundays of Lent. Sundays are a break from the fast of Lent. Little Easter feasts tucked into the Lenten fast, reminding us that Jesus is about feasting, not fasting. But the issue that Jesus is driving at this morning runs a bit deeper. It has to do with the dark demon called religion and all the clever ways we cook up to try to get on God's good side. The human heart is one great big religion factory. It takes a good thing and makes a religion out of it. Fasting is a good thing. And the heart says, if a little is good, then more is better. And if more is better, then God will surely be pleased with a lot. And pretty soon, a fine outward training becomes something necessary, something you must do in order to please God. To that, then, we get to the hinge in this pericope. Jesus says, look, you don't put patch you don't patch a hole in an old cloth with a piece of unshrunken new cloth. If you do, the patch will shrink in the first wash and rip a hole bigger than the first. Jesus is not a patch job on the old covenant, not a band-aid applied to a few tears in the law. You can't stitch Jesus onto the torn rags of religion and have him stick. He'll rip the thing to shreds, just as the curtain of the temple was ripped from top to bottom on that very good Friday Jesus died. Jesus Christ, God's Son, laid down his life to save a world full of sinners, and in that death, God was reconciled to the world, to you and me. So what in the world can you or I do to top that or add to it? 
You can't sew the new cloth of Jesus on the old cloth of religion. So what do you do with that torn up piece of clothing when all you have is new cloth? You daily throw the old cloth away and put on the seamless robe of Jesus' righteousness received in your baptism. Jesus gives us one more look. He goes on. You don't take the new wine that's still fermenting and pour it into an old stretched out wineskin. If you do, the skins will explode under the pressure and you'll lose both wine and skins. Trying to squeeze Jesus into religion is like pouring bubbly fermenting wine into wineskins that are stretched out from use. They can't handle the pressure. They burst from the fullness, as Jesus put it in the text. This is the same word as fulfill, as in, I've not come to abolish the Torah and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Jesus literally poured himself into the old wineskins of the law and filled them overflowing with the new wine of his blood poured out for us for the life of the world. And the old literally exploded with the fullness of Christ. Jesus is the end of religion, the end of negotiating with God, of deal-cutting and bargaining, of commandment-keeping as a way to find God's favor. God will have none of it. He's at peace, reconciled to you and to me and to the world in the death of his son, Jesus. That's the good news we are supposed to broadcast to the world, not the bad news of religion, but the good news of the end of religion. Don't make Christianity into one of the world's religions. The world's religions are the record of our misguided attempts to deal with God on our terms. And it's all a waste of time and energy. We are reconciled to God in the blood of his son. End of discussion, end of religion. Unfortunately, as you'll see in your classes, the history of our church is also the history of our love affair as man with religion. We're always trying to put a patch on the tattered rags of our religions. We're always trying to recycle our old wineskins and reuse them. The church struggles in each generation to keep it straight that there is no book of Leviticus in the New Testament and that Jesus is the fulfillment of the law. All that's left over after that, after that explosion, is baptism, a word of forgiveness, the body and blood of our Lord and his supper, divinely ordained signs of his death and life amongst us. And yet, we're not content with those. We want something more. And in Paul's day, it was circumcision. In the second century, the church noted that the Jews were fasting, as we saw in our text on Mondays and Thursdays, so they made Wednesday and Friday the fast days in the Christian church. The medieval church added even more, especially during Lent, and then the rule came that we couldn't have the Lord's Supper unless we were fasting. We've added our own rules and regulations along the way, and you can almost hear the sound of joy being sucked out of our religion. Let's be done with it. Let the demons be silenced. The joy of Christ is the joy of a marriage feast which has no end. The joy of sins forgiven. The joy of resurrection from the dead. The joy of your whole life redeemed, restored, raised up for good. And that joy is yours in Christ. You are baptized into the joy of Jesus' death. You have been clothed with Christ, covered with new cloths of his seamless righteousness. Not a patch job stitched onto your old selves, but a whole new seamless robe. Don't try to look in the mirror of the law and see that. You can't. You must believe it. 
You are frequent guests at his feast here in Kramer Chapel in your field at congregations and in congregations throughout our church and world. Living bread come down from heaven, new wine, his life's blood poured into you like new wineskins that expands and grows with his life. You are honored guests of the bridegroom at his feast. Don't let religion rob you the joy of Christ. So fast, if you will, and feast with joy, but do neither religiously do both of them in the joy of Jesus. In his name.
In our prayers, we remember seminarian Andrew Berg, who has been hospitalized again. Let us pray. Almighty God, you invite us to trust in you for our salvation. Deal with us not in the severity of your judgment, but by the greatness of your mercy. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Heavenly Father, ruler of all things, your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ, healed all manner of infirmities and cured all manner of diseases. Mercifully help your servant Andrew in body and soul, and if it be your will, free him from his sickness that, restored to health, he may with a thankful heart bless your holy name. Through Jesus Christ our Lord, O Lord, our Heavenly Father, almighty and everlasting God, you have safely brought us to the beginning of this day. Defend us in the same with your mighty power, and grant that this day we may fall into no sin, neither run into any kind of danger, but that all our doings, being ordered by your governance, may be righteous in your sight. Through Jesus Christ, your Son, our Lord, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. Taught by our Lord and trusting his promises, we are bold to pray. Our Father. us and direct our days and our deeds in his peace. 